You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Rise and shine, Perth. Welcome to The Perth Property Show, another round on a Monday morning. I'm Trent Fleskins, your host as always. And this week is a super interesting topic. And for today's episode, we are talking landlord's insurance. I've got Emma Thorpe in from Mark Hay Realty to help us with that conversation because I think a lot of people would think that that's just an insurance broker who can help us out with that. It might be James Royce popping on the show, but I think on this side of things, we want to get right into the nitty gritty about the people that are really helping us with issues that arise from not getting paid or from damage from tenants, and that's your property manager. So our newest expert on the show is Emma Thorpe. Emma, thank you very much for coming in. Hello. Thank you for having me. All right. What is the biggest reason or the biggest impetus for landlords insurance that you'd see coming up every day in your yeah, business? Yeah, sure. Well, there's definitely a few points to consider when taking out landlords insurance. There's um, lots of different reasons why we should have it. The biggest one, I guess, Trent, is tenants absconding with rent owing. So that's the most common claim that we're doing in our office at the moment. Does it happen so, a lot in this market where people are, it's a bit tight? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it happens all of the time. Okay. And even the best tenants can find themselves in an awkward position where, unfortunately, they need to go back overseas or over east and unfortunately they abscond with rent owing. So they've just nicked off, is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. So basically what can happen is everything goes along smoothly. The tenant will fall slowly behind in their rent. Basically, you go through the courts to have them evicted. And then what happens is we're left with a loss of rent claims. So what we can do is apply to your insurance company and they will generally, if everything's done correctly, cover you for loss of rent with nil excess. So that is the um, most common, best, simple scenario if you've got an absconding tenant. How long would it take before we can get that cash? Any idea from your experience? Yeah, sure. So basically, as soon as we've got a court order from the courts, you can lodge that insurance claim with the two better companies that owners should be using. That could be wrapped up within a matter of weeks. Is it like any other insurance policy where you pay a bigger premium you have less of an uh, excess or you have longer time getting paid sure. out. There's a lot of variation like yeah, you choose sure. your policy. So with the general policies in WA, they'll do a landlord's insurance policy from around $275 to $310. Most companies are flat fee. So you'll either, mm. you're at one end of those two scales. Obviously, the difference insurance claims will have different excesses. But interestingly, as I mentioned before, loss of rent is with nil excess. So a few of the other ones like maybe accidental damage or malicious damage they'll have an ex- excess of around 250 to 500 per claim so this is on top of just my normal house and contents insurance I would yes have. that's right so you have your building and contents insurance and then you'll take your landlord separately as the property manager which companies are you finding are the most used for this insurance policy? yeah sure so legally we're not allowed to recommend anyone in particular but the two companies that our landlords use are ebm insurance and terry shear insurance See, I haven't heard of them on a daily basis. They must be very specialised for specific yeah, landlords absolutely. insurance. So these companies do cover mainly the landlord's insurance, but also they do do a cover for tenants as well, which is quite good. Um, we always encourage our tenants to take out a policy for their contents as well. We're talking 20-something bucks a month here. Yeah, really. absolutely. Pretty priceless investment, hey? Well, that's the sort of difference between really a more expensive property manager and a less expensive property manager yeah, at 20 exactly. bucks a month. Yeah, exactly. Interestingly, we had a claim recently for 
or an unfortunate event of death of a tenant where we were able to cover and reimburse our owner for their loss of rent, replacement of carpet, a biohazard cleaning, replacement of some inventory, a new vacate clean and a front door repair. So that tallied up to $25,000. So the excess- 300 bucks a year. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So we were able to get all of that done for our owners, lodge the insurance claim and get those funds back into our owner's investment. So um, it was really good investment. That excess was $500. Look, I guess you never want to put a price on someone's passing. Absolutely. But in reality, this guy's uh, probably had a bit of a- refresh of his house in that yep. situation thanks to the insurance company yeah that's right for the so space of a few hundred bucks yeah exactly yeah it was a really good investment for our clients to have at that time mm. and you can imagine if it if they didn't have the insurance they would have been out of pocket twenty five thousand dollars and and that's really well that kills you that's that's for a lot of people a year a year and a half of rent exactly particularly with the market the way that it has been with lower rents higher vacancy okay hit me with another example Yeah, sure. So another good example is just where we have a really good tenant, but unfortunately the dog or the cat has completely ruined our gorgeous wooden floorboards in the passageway of the property. Mm. So obviously as agents, we do our three monthly routine inspections, but perhaps everything goes smoothly until right up to the last inspection. Then we find, or even at the final bond inspection, we find that there is damage to the wooden floorboards. So we go through, do our final inspection. We work out that there's that damage caused. We can finalize the tenant's bond and get the floorboards replaced. So we use the bond to pay a portion of that expense and Uh then just do a simple insurance claim for the amounts over and above. An excess on that would be around $250. So if we've got solid wood floorboards throughout a whole property, maybe that's $5,000 to get repaired. We use the tenant's bond, which may be $1,500, and we can do an insurance claim for the amounts over and above. I would have thought an insurance company would ask that question, are you allowing tenants to have dogs or cats in the house? And therefore, maybe it would become more expensive to have that insurance policy because it's more than likely that there's possibly going to be a claim in a year's time. Yep. So they do ask whether there is pets in the property, but it's just one of those things that is covered by this particular landlord's insurance. They do cover your pet's damage, malicious damage or accidental damage. You mentioned the bond there. Yes. In most situations is the bond, just like I guess with a health, health insurance you know how health insurance goes in above Medicare? Yes. Is this sort of landlord insurance where you use above. up the bond first and then it's the insurance? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've so, always found the bond to be a tough thing to redress in yeah. terms of getting that money back and going through the process with the government, Department yeah. of Commerce. Yeah. So obviously the bond is always equivalent to four weeks rent unless we go over and above a certain amount, we can charge more. And look, there is always some conflict around bond release with some tenants, but we really find in our office, as long as we are communicating with our tenants, we are working in line with the Residential Tenancies Act and we're acting fair and reasonably, then we really don't have any issues. And in a case where a pet dog has ruined the floor, the, the tenants are pretty forthcoming with that and they're happy for their bond to be used and generally they'll pay the excess for the owner's insurance claim as well and just get the issue wrapped up as quickly as possible. This sounds very convenient 
and seems to be too easy if you've got a property manager involved. I can imagine this being a much more stressful and harder situation to manage if you're doing this yourself. Yeah, I guess. And obviously, we've got eight and a half hours or more a day to be working on these issues where I know a lot of owners are, are very busy and this isn't the most important thing on yeah, their plate at on the, the moment. Weekend. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I guess it's just another good reason why you have a property manager in place to help you. I guess on the surface, this seems uh, like a bit of a sales pitch on landlords insurance. It's definitely to our listeners today, it's definitely not what it is. It's something that I need to consider for a few of my properties because it can be easy for people to think that their house and contents insurance is their landlord's insurance. And this clearly is a step above that. Yeah, and for what is. is $20 a month, it seems like there really is some value in this type of insurance uh, for once, in my opinion, especially if you can tie that in with a property manager just organizing the paperwork for you. Emma, thank you very much for coming in. First episode, I like it. Uh, we'll definitely have you in again more, I think, to chat about other deeper property management issues, tenant issues. We're all we're all facing them, especially when our tenants are in a tougher time, I think. So we need to keep learning about this information and hopefully you can be the teacher. Thanks Excellent. for coming in. Thank you so much. Okay, suburb spotlight time. We are talking about this city of Belmont suburb is Cloverdale. Cloverdale has quite a rainbow of culture and of opportunity, I think, in terms of development, but also a great upgrade in services with all the construction that's been happening around both Belmont Forum, but also the Gateway WA project right next door. That conversation can only be had with our number one agent in the area. It's Devin Kelly. Devin, thank you very much for coming back in. It's been a few months. Yeah, thanks, Trent. It's been a busy couple of months. Tell us about how busy it's been. We Off air, we were chatting and pretty exciting that in November 2019, we're talking about some numbers that you haven't seen for a while. No, it's been really busy out there. I'm personally putting away 10 deals a month at the moment. Uh, a lot of listings to be had, uh, a lot of buyers coming into the location. Tell us about how that would compare to at the start of you know, maybe March this year. Oh, it's doubled in sales. Uh, the listings are starting to dry up. But Why is that? I think people, uh, if they're happy in a home, they're not ready to sell. They have to go and buy another property. So it's mainly the investors that are probably getting out of properties, but they're starting to realise we've bottomed out and we're not going to go any further down. Is that what you think for the city of Belmont in general? It's definitely levelled up. We're seeing some green shoots on the on the graphs at the moment to indicate that we're getting some price rises. Are they mainly in the home space or the developer space? Uh, mainly in the home space, but I have uh, just sold eight apartments in Cloverdale and I sold those in about two months and they averaged about 320 each. I guess when you look generally at property development sites, especially they are a function of those home prices. Once you start seeing the prices, the evidence, people have a bit more confidence on the development side to start paying dollars for it. Well, the development sites have taken a big hit. They were 100 a site for an apartment site. Cloverdale is probably sitting at about fifty to 60000 a site. So a massive change. They've come off about forty k. Let's talk about what's going on right now just in general in Cloverdale. As I've referenced before, we had Belmont Forum has really obviously had some, some upgrades there. We've had Gateway WA. We've got the DFO. It's available there too. Have you seen any changes to people's preferences having a look again at Cloverdale? Uh, Clo- Cloverdale is very popular. Like I've just sold one on the way into the studio today. 400,000, 700 metre block with a fibro roof, four bed brick veneer. They were probably sitting at about 350. 
So with the lack of stock and the buyers, we had 10 people through the home open last Saturday. So there's a there's a strong demand for Cloverdale at the moment. That's the anecdote that I'm hearing from a lot of agents at the moment is at the very least, there are much bigger numbers of people walking through home opens. Yeah, if they're priced correctly, you'll see between five and 10 groups. And, yeah, and a year you, ago, you, you could sit, sit around with nothing going on. One or two people yeah. through. Whilst we're not seeing a lot of price growth in general in Perth, we're continually hearing those anecdotes. We were hearing them a year ago, and then they got kicked in the teeth by the Royal Commission, by by our Bill Shorten election, and then we started again, essentially. Hopefully, we're having another kickstart. I think we're seeing in Cloverdale particularly a lot of FIFO buyers and tenants in the area. So we've got 600 rentals. I think at the moment we've got about eight vacant. So our vacancy rate is very low. And those tenants do become our buyers. That's fantastic. That's the green shoots again. That's the leading indicator for everyone listening in. Vacancy rates are a leading indicator for property prices because once vacancy rates tighten up, we're able to start charging more as landlords. And as that happens, two things happen. Tenants start becoming buyers and investors start hitting the market again because they see a bit more cash flow and their numbers start working on a serviceability side. Well, the investors are making a comeback. I think out of the 10 properties this month, I think uh, two or three of them have gone to investors. Yep. And we weren't seeing any investors entering the market six months ago. Well, that's good. Stats are saying that on average, investors are currently 15% of new mortgage uptakes. So if you're seeing two or three, 20 or 30%, of that for you, obviously small subset, but that's still better than one or zero. Yeah, well, my average price out there at the moment is about four fifty. So you can buy a house in Cloverdale at the moment for about three hundred thousand. Big difference when you compare it to the surrounding suburbs of Rivervale, Belmont, even Redcliffe. Obviously, is is a different option. Yeah, Redcliffe's probably a little cheaper option, but. Uh, Cloverdale has just got a wide variety of homes. It, very true, and wide variety of quality in homes as well. Yeah, like the the larger four by twos, big blocks, they're probably sitting up at about six hundred, seven hundred thousand. So personify for me a typical seller and a typical buyer in Cloverdale with you right now. A uh, typical seller is probably someone that's retiring from the suburb. They've bought back in the 70s or 80s and they're looking to move on to a smaller property. The buyer is a first home buyer looking for land. Uh, If they are looking for the 10K, there's not a lot of options. They have to go for the apartments. Are they normally first home buyers that were living with mum and dad in the area? Are they sticking Uh, around? No, getting a lot of people from out of the area, but we we will always get the locals getting pushed out of mum and dad's house to buy. Yep. Mainly at the the moment from north of the river. Could you explain... Dev, maybe a couple of the key draw cards for Cloverdale as a suburb when you compare it to the surrounding suburbs. Why would someone come into Cloverdale? Cloverdale is basically a cheaper option than Rivervale and uh, Qdale. The Belmont Forum is actually in Cloverdale, so it's right in the centre of the suburb. You've got the town centre, the council, uh, the aquatic centre, the movies, access to the airport, Access to Great Eastern, access to Morley via Garrett Road. This It's a very central location. The walk score is pretty incredible when you think about it. Obviously, there's a bit of negative when it comes to some air, aircraft noise. Is that something that people have to consider? Only towards the edges of Q Street and back end of, of Redcliffe. There is a flight path coming in over Belmont, but it's only when there's a strong easterly. Interesting. In terms of schools, 
young families coming in. Where is someone normally going to school if they're living in Cloverdale? We've got Cloverdale Primary, you've got Cudale Primary, Belmay, Redcliffe, Tramby, and then you've got your two Catholic schools close by. There's a big high school, Belmont College, but a lot of the people will take their kids to the private schools uh, in the city once they've finished down primary school. All right, Dev, let's talk about price points. You referenced a few of them. How cheap can I buy in Cloverdale? What am I getting for it? 300000 you'll get a 700 metre block, three by one brick veneer. No development potential, but a nice, clean, tidy home. Yep. As far as units go, uh, you can get a three bedroom villa, freestanding. They're probably sitting at about 280300 Affordable. First home buyer price ranges, easily accessible at that level. Where are we going for a family home? Family homes are probably starting at about 450 and anywhere up to 700 depending on the age and the and the block size. There was one in Robinson Ave recently sold for 650, 4x2, 800m block with a swimming pool. Nice place. Nice place, cul-de-sac. Actually, it was a friend of mine's. Is that probably capping out in terms of prices in Cloverdale at the moment? Um, if 700 is really the ceiling. Uh, you move across to Qdale and you're probably looking at eight. So you, essentially, if you're going to spend more than 700, you're probably not going to Cloverdale. You're, at probably, the mo- going to you're probably not going to find the homes. They're probably, they're a needle in a haystack. You're only really got to, at any time, two or three homes of that, that caliber yeah, that on the market. Sense. All right, development blocks. This is, I guess, the product that has a massive dump in the last few years in pricing. Where are we sitting now? You can buy a seven-unit site. I've just put one on the market today, and for four four nine, and they were sitting up at about seven hundred. What about our house behind a house stuff? Just sold one in Pearl Road for four sixty, and that was a twelve hundred metre block with an old fibro home in Good Nick. Yeah, um, that's so- probably the more expensive side of that. Yeah, the equation, you, you won't find too much retain and build under 450. Yeah. The homes are usually pushovers. Yeah, and that, but that's the problem, right? You've got these pushover homes. And if we can seg- now segue into development potential and just that chat of subdivision in Cloverdale, there's a couple of key factors I think we need to talk about. One, a lot of those zoned homes are fibro pushovers. They are. So you're paying for a house you're going to have to knock over most of the time. Um, they, they're still fairly saleable. They're probably a front fibro is probably sitting at about 280. The rear block is probably sitting at about 250. And another key point, which is something I think quite a few people would have been caught on in the last few years, is when you go to a split zoning and you have to start meeting the criteria of that split zoning, especially for the city of Belmont and in Cloverdale especially. One of those clauses, it's 5.7 point something, says that there needs to be a minimum side setback of six metres. Now, that can really kill a lot of people who think they're going to do a standard house behind a house. And then the council comes back and says, yeah, we approved this subdivision, but you're going to have to knock out your kitchen for us to get that six metres we want. Yeah, that's mainly uh, to do with the R2040 zoning. Yes. Uh, A lot of people do get caught on that because the R20... You got a minimum of three, average of four, so you can get caught on that with retaining builds. I've seen a couple of those in my time. Not the best feeling when you haven't done your homework properly, and then you go to a professional, ask them to get things done, and then I have to come back to them and say, "I'm sorry, this is not going to work out for you unless we knock the house down." Yeah, and then you're up for major dollars, and then really you need to be buying it at land value. You're not um, making any money. The way that I'm pricing them at the moment with the split zoning is basically still back to the apartment scenario. Okay. How many apartments you can get times by the uh, the site cost. 
Is that what you think the council is really looking for out of this zoning? They want these houses knocked down? I don't think they're looking for the knockdown. They've made th- it hard to keep the houses in a lot of cases. Yeah, they certainly have. I think, you know, a lot of people are trying to do it at R30, but so they've got a 700 metre block, R2040, trying to do that rear um, subdivision at R30, and they're not super comfortable with that. Mm. Where do you see Cloverdale going in the next few years, both in terms of development? Uh, but also in just in terms of lifestyle? Well, the developers have left the area for over the last couple of years, and I think now is really the time to be buying land in Cloverdale because the eight apartments that I sold uh, over the last couple of months, they walked out the door at 320. So they're probably about 200 to put up, Mm. and you're buying the land at the moment between 50 and 55 a site. It's probably half a million dollars in that. So unfortunately, the guys that did do those developments were paying a hundred a site. Yeah, so there wasn't really much left over. Well, anything that's that's been built since there, there's no no money in it. Yep. Now is really the time to be buying in Cloverdale to be able to get those yields. That well, imagine if they're selling for three twenties now. Yep. We spend another couple of years getting that development up. You'd hope, if you had an optimistic view of Cloverdale, that those three twenties might turn to three fifties. Well, they were 430s. Yeah. So when I first started selling apartments in Cloverdale, so they drifted. They've obviously dropped 100k. Mm. So if you could make that 50 grand back up, really they should be sitting at 370. Yeah. Okay. What do you think holding them down? Is it oversupply? Is it a general increase in options in surrounding suburbs? Well, there's not an oversupply in Cloverdale. Um, probably Rivervale up the top end in the Springs, and then obviously out towards Kennington. I've got a, a set in Beckingham. We've got 12 there. We've only sold three, and they're down at 279. So there is an oversupply towards the carousel area. People need to really start looking hard at themselves when it comes to these developments. Places like Beckingham, what is the fundamental reason that people would want to change down their lifestyle, compromise on their lifestyle, to live in an apartment in a place with a walk score of a suburb like Beckingham? When you compare it to a place like Cloverdale, why would you not be developing in Cloverdale in the first place when it comes to that sort of product? I think the problem with Cloverdale was the banks red flagged it for the development potential. So they weren't uh, lending to the developers based on a postcode. Blacklisted. Blacklisted 6105. Uh, well, there we go. So that can obviously put a lot of pressure. But at the same time, I still stand by the fact that really, if, if Cloverdale should have been blacklisted, so would, so would Beckenham. There's less fundamental reasons why people would be happy to compromise on a backyard for a lifestyle in Beckenham than there is in Cloverdale. I think why we were blacklisted is the buyers were paying a hundred thousand a site, and it was just wasn't it wasn't feasible to do the developments any further. Well, it seems like now it is. Oh, it definitely is. Yeah, like uh, if I had another twenty apartments, they would be gone before Christmas. There you go. Well, anyone out there who's got apartments looking to sell them, Devin Kelly will get them go, go on before Christmas. <laughs> Thanks, Trent. You've got me under pressure now. <laughs> there you go. All right, Devin. Last question: Median house price. What is it in Cloverdale? Uh, currently four ten. What would Devin Kelly buy for four hundred ten thousand dollars in Cloverdale? Uh, four hundred ten thousand. I'd be looking for a three bedroom, double brick home with an R twenty forty zoning, seven, hopefully eight hundred square metre uh, block. Uh, with potential for seven or eight apartments. And you just sit on it for now or would you try and act on it um, in I this market? Th- well, if you could afford to act, I'd be getting a DA approval for apartments because I still believe apartments are 
uh, the future. Where would that be? Is there a specific area? Because Cloverdale is very patchy when it comes to zoning. Where, where would your prime location be to be able to put that product up? Within two blocks of the Belmont Forum. Okay. Awesome. We, would be the prime spot. Devin Kelly, Mr. Belmont, as always, thank you very much for your time. Uh, we've covered quite a few suburbs in this area now. Have you got any last stats for us and your last thoughts? Cloverdale, uh, always been a winner for 25 years for myself, and I think I've put away 20 in Cloverdale in the last three months, so it's very, very buoyant. There's some volume. It's definitely some volume. Devin, have a good one. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!